morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. You're listening to the Vitamin D Podcast, where we shine no matter the time. I'm your host, Dawn Day, and I'm here to get you excited about your life. You ready for a dose of vitamin D? I got a question for you. What do you do when you feel something so deeply in your soul, right? And it just screams out to you, but you've never done it before. So therefore, you don't have a blueprint, nor do you know how to do it. And I hear it again and again from people, family, friends, co-workers, about this invisible hand that feels like oh, it's holding us back. And you know, some call it fear. From our spirit's calling, which I like to call purpose. And then it's happened in my life too. I think about it when I had to write my first sketch. Now I study improv over at the Groundlings Theater that's in Los Angeles. And some classmates of mine, we started our own improv sketch group. We're called Cosmic Force. And you can follow us on all social media at Cosmic Force Comedy. And it came up to me, it was my turn to write the sketch and I had never done it before. And I could feel everything just locking up and I couldn't think it was almost like I was giving birth. And what I came to realize is that the smartest person in the room isn't always the one that knows everything. Sometimes the smartest person in the room is the one that uses their resources. So I had to ask some friends. And I appreciate Karina, Danielle, Kenria, Lydia, everybody. And this not only goes for things that you've never done before, but it also goes for things that you're currently doing. Because that's when we call it self-sabotaging, like the procrastination. You know, it's that feeling like you want to quit and you'll just say, okay, I did enough. Something to come on TV, pop up on your phone. Somebody's going to try to call you. Heck, you're going to even have to pay your bills. Okay, you still need to pay your bills. But what I'm saying is, is that stop making excuses. And you know, sometimes you're going to have to break in order to break through. You asked God to help you grow and it started raining. See, we sometimes have to push through ourselves in order to get to ourselves. With all that being said, I have a special treat for y'all. I sat down with comedy legend, J. Anthony Brown, the one who taught one of the kings of comedy comedy about his life from being the host of the time during a morning show to going over to the Steve Harvey morning show to kicking cancer with a sun don't shine. And we actually talked about him and Steve Harvey on the road together. Also, how to overcome the voice inside that tells you you can't when you can. Take a listen. Get your vitamin D right here with me and get excited about your life. How you doing? Doing good. I'm ready. Let's do it. We already going. We talking. Oh, we talking. All right. What up, everybody? It's boy, J. Anthony Brown. Be sure to check out my radio show where I count down the top 10 jams in the country each and every week on iHeartRadio. And check me out on Mondays and Fridays on the Steve Harvey Radio Show. And this message has been brought to you by JAnthonyBrown.com. Watch out, man. <laughs> you better sell yourself. Tell these people that, you know, this this is the perfect time to start your own business. It's the perfect time for everything that's the beginning. This is happening now. All that stuff you could do before, if you could bake pies and cookies and stuff you did as a hobby, you can eat off of that. Don't right. let the don't let the shutdown shut you down, okay? Right. I should write that. Hold on. Like, Hold on. Are you gonna preach Hold today? On. Who don't, is this? Don't. Don't let the shutdown shut you don't down. Don't let the shutdown shut you down. 
Don't let the shutdown shut you down. <laughs> Turn that frown upside down. Turn that frown upside down. Don't look like a clown. Don't let the sundown touch you down. Hey, hey. Don't let the shutdown shut you down. Boom, Come boom, on. Boom, 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 boom. You do right, you'll be around. Mm-hmm. Turn, turn that frown upside down. down. Don't We're let moving. the sundown shut you down. What you got? What's up? What's, What's happening? Up? Um, first of all, first of all, let me just say that this is this is a pleasure. No, seriously. I know I said it before, but like I'm talking to a legend right now. Yeah, so no, when people yeah. be like, Dawn, you know, how I, you doing? I hear that word a lot. Like, man, you a legend. I don't feel legendistic. I don't know what why. What do you mean? Okay, first of all, let's just go here. We were just on the phone just the <laughs> other day. And you're like, Dawn, you know, Steve Harvey, you know, he had these shows and how amazing he is. But then I'm thinking back when I first started working as the digital content producer for the Steve Harvey Morning Show. And I was in Punta Cana in Mm -hmm. the cafeteria talking to Broderick Jr. And he proceeds Mm -hmm. to tell me that his father, Broderick Harvey Sr., Mm -hmm. got inspired from comedy from you and Richard Pryor. So when you sit here and tell me that you're not a legend or maybe you can't fathom to imagine it, I just look at you sideways. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, you know, you forget when you do this or when you start doing this that how many people you've touched are somewhat inspired. Everybody's inspired somebody. Somebody, a lot of people say, man, I used to watch you and I got X, Y, Z. So when you're doing it, you don't think about it like that. And I guess it's because I'm still doing it. I'm still out out there in the game at this age. I've been blessed. I came to L.A. a long time ago. I've never been without a job. That's a blessing for the man upstairs. And you're very talented at that, too. You do more than just radio. I can sing. I can write. You know, I can dance. You I can make clothes, tailoring. What's my book? I don't have my... Oh, I don't have my book. Is that I, 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 I missed the whole... Wait, you sing, Jay? Have you been on... You sing, sing. We just sung a song. Don't let the let down get you down. We just sung that. Well, that was well, Okay, in that case. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Okay, Don't you let the set down get you down. <laughs> so you said you came out to L.A. and you kept working, but uh, where are you from again? I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. I came out here. I'd already been doing comedy by the time I decided to come to L.A. I've been doing comedy probably about 10 years. So, Oh, 10 years before coming to L.A.? Ten years before coming to LA, I was I was considered what they call a road comic. A road comic is a comedian who works quote unquote on the road. So from working on the road, I was able to you know sustain uh, to eat. I didn't have to worry about you know getting a job when I came out here. Uh, luckily, I got a job, but I was always out here, and then I'd go to Texas or Chicago or whatever to work. So I was blessed by that. And then luckily, I got a job as a writer. And what was that? Yeah, I got a job writing on the Arsenio Hall show. Woof, woof, woof. What? Woof, 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 woof. Yes. Wait that a minute. A How does that happen? You just said it like, oh, it was nothing. I mean. It was meant to happen. The first day, first of all, I drove to L.A. I drove to L.A. in a powdered blue Escort. Just, it took me. Wait, the love it escort? Yeah, the little blue escort. And I had this thing built on the back. So you know how you back of the escorts where you would pull that little cloth thing down mm-hmm. and it would you couldn't see what you have. So I had a wooden piece made so that all my belongings 
could be in there. When they look in the car, they couldn't see anything. So I had a powder, brand new, brand new powder blue Escort. I drove to LA and my joke, my, my goal was to get on Johnny Carson or anything. And it's amazing how it has turned now that comics back in the day, in order to be quote unquote successful, you had to get on one of those shows, either Arsenio Hall, Johnny Carson, or any of those late night shows. If you, you know, that was, that was the next step. And so I come out of here, man, the next day I go over to Paramount studios to hang out with my friend who is a writer on the Arsenio Hall show. We're just hanging out. He's got two writers, both of them white. I know both of them. And we're sitting there and they're typing up the monologue. And from them typing the monologue, I'm yelling out stuff. And he says, see, you can do this. I said, do what? You can be a writer. It's nothing, man. We type these jokes and then we go home. It's just that simple. He said, why don't you send Arsenio some jokes? Now, here's the key part. And up until this day, I can't type and I'm a horrible speller. But I'll figure it out that most people let what they can't do stop them from what they want to do. Come on. You know, they always, they always put it, well, I can't do this, so I'm not going to be able to, do, you know, I don't have a, a, a big kitchen, so I can't cook pies, or I don't have this, so I didn't let that stop me. Now, this was before the internet, this was before <laughs> any of this stuff, so all I said to myself was, if I get somebody to type up my jokes, I'll send them in the Arsenio Hall and see what happens. So I typed up some, some jokes, took them to Paul, because this was before fax machines fax machines didn't exist when you know you weren't around but <laughs> it was a day when there was no fax so it meant you had to call the jokes into the lady who was typing it was an elderly lady so sometimes she didn't get the joke that i was saying and like it didn't make sense because i didn't see it until i picked it up you know so i had her type of these jokes and so i, I sent them in i give them to paul i take them over to paul paul says i'm gonna give them to arsenio so I'm on the road and he calls me and he says, tonight, Arsenio is going to do your joke. Wow. I said, oh, really? So yeah, he put it in the monologue. So I'm sitting in the, I'm sitting in a hotel in Kentucky somewhere and I see Arsenio do the joke and the joke I wrote, it might not be funny now. <laughs> don't go, that did, that, that the joke that got you a joke. <laughs> Wait a minute. So now what's the, what was the joke? The joke was uh, Latoya Jackson did a spread eagle on a motorcycle. This was in Playboy magazine. And she said she did it to enhance her career. And Arsenio Hall said, well, I've been out here about 30 years and I like to enhance my career too, but you don't see me butt-ass naked on a Harley Davidson. <laughs> Boom, that was the joke. It killed, it, it destroyed the room. They called me in and said, Arsenio wants to meet you the next day when you come back to LA. So I said, oh my God, I can't type, man. Uh, what am I gonna do? So I started, uh, I, I got we started working with this lady who would type up my jokes because back then the only news outlet you had was USA Today. USA Today came out at six o'clock in the morning. I could look in the paper and get my six o'clock in the morning jokes, get the lady to type up me. I always turned in three pages of jokes, not maybe six or seven jokes on each page. Call the lady up. If she messed it up, boom. Now I turn my jokes in. Now I'm free to work with whoever's. Wants and to now work. you guys your whole life. So right there was the start of it all. That was the start of all it. Right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vitamin D Podcast. <laughs> here where you get excited about your life. Here, I'm here to give you a dose of inspiration. And I am talking right now to the incomparable Mr. J. Anthony, Anthony Brown. Brown. What? <laughs> Brother said he started his career at Arsenio Hall, but I'm interested to know who was Jay before, before the comedy, before the I was a years. tailor. 
I was a tailor. I made clothes. I made, I went to school in Denmark. Germany? South Carolina. Oh, it's... You know, I always throw that out there and let people be amazed. Try to guess which one. This is a so world you... traveler. This dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sprugumsy Deutsch. Was ist los mit dir? Wie hast du den Abendsicht dann? Ja. Wohnt ihr, dort ihr, dort ihr? Auch da wir dann sehen wir. Wie hast du den Abendsicht? Wie hast du den Abendsicht? Nein, wie hast du that's German chatter. I wasn't saying anything. And so, you know what? That's what I thought. But I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, that's what they call dialogue. So anyway, I was a tailor, but I was all, always fascinated with comedy. Like, I just love comedy. Who, who, would, who did you look up to when you were coming up? Oh, my God. Some of the names you never heard of. Uh, Wild Man Steve, Pigmeat Markham, Flip Wilson, Mom's Flip Wilson, Navy. I know that one. Who, which one? Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson, Red he had his own TV them, yeah. show. Mm-hmm. And Bill Cosby was doing his albums at that time. Uh, Richard Pryor did not exist. So Bill Cosby was doing his albums. And we and Red Fox. Red Fox was really big because you had to buy the Red Fox albums. and you would The party. Sneak, or you couldn't play them, you know, you play them real low. I mean, it wasn't like, don't play that in here. And, and uh, Rudy Raymore, those were people that you saw on the quote-unquote Chitlin circuit. You could hear their records or on certain radio stations. And those were the people that I was influenced by. And that especially, circuit was the way that... Bill Cosby. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So did you get a chance to meet any of your people that inspired you? I met Bill Cosby. I met um, Rudy Ray Moore. I met Richard Pryor. I met him twice. Old Richard Pryor or younger Richard, Richard Pryor? Pryor? Richard Pryor. No, I'm saying he when he was... At, at the hate, at the hot. You know, okay. He was hot. Okay. And he's coming down the steps and I asked him to take a picture of me. Twice, two times I met Richard Pryor, and each time I took the picture, it didn't come out. You're so telling a tale. So I don't have a picture with Richard Pryor, but I saw him twice. I met him. So I touched his garment, shook his hand. Oh, you had your moment. So yeah. out of all of them, who would you say would be your top pick? Richard Pryor, because his vision of comedy was so big. But there's some white comics that I just adore. With that would be uh, George Carlin. And Jonathan Winters, because Jonathan Winters, his improv skills to me was just amazing. He had this one bit where he'd take a bunch of junk and pile it on the table and then he pick pick it up and then he'd make a routine out of it. Jonathan Winters, Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby because of his cleverness, Bill Cosby because Bill Cosby could talk about one subject. It seemed like forever. You know, and then and Red Fox because of the rawness he was, you know. So all of them, all of them had an influence. Okay. And, and you know, it's so interesting that you were saying how your moment when you were working on Arsenio Hall show that you are not a good speller, nor can you type. And how did you get the confidence to do it? Because usually that strikes because people I, out. Here's something I always said. Uh, this is when I, would, when I was working on my comedy routine while I was in a tailor shop. I, honestly, I would sit and I would practice my routine i would if i thought of anything funny this is the truth i'd be doing sleeves or shortening a jacket or whatever and putting on buttons when i would sit there and i would just talk to myself they thought i was crazy and i would talk and anything that came up funny i like that i'm like you know you know what that yeah, you, you know me, me, yeah. <laughs> and i was so and they thought this negro is crazy and so I just, at the end of that, I would say to myself, 
I'm not going to let nothing mentally, physically, emotionally, or financially stop me from what it is. I'd say that every day. So it was that it it never dawned on me what I couldn't do in terms of what I could, what I wanted. When I first started doing comedy, I was horrible, but I didn't let that stop me. I sucked. I booed. I got booed up stages and, you know, and you drive home to, it's horrible. The, the the most the, I can compare bombing on the stage to having a death in your family. Really? It is the it is the worst feeling. And in comics, will t- it is the worst feeling in the world because you go up here to make somebody laugh, and they go, "Nah, we ain't we ain't feeling numb." By the same token, the most funniest thing in the world for a comedian is to watch another comedian bomb. God, dog. And let me tell you why. Because we've all been there. Right. We've all been there. So we laughing at you. We laughing at your pain. We laughing at... Because I know like, that pain. You know, it's like, you know, like moms, when the baby sticks her finger in the socket, you got... <laughs> you ain't going to do that no more. <laughs> and you're laughing not at... The, because mom has burnt herself. So right. I've been burnt. So that's why that's funny. So... Man, I would have, I'd have nights. Oh my God. It was like, it would be, but you kept going. But so that just just tells me the fact that you had that type of um, perseverance, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that you had some type of foundation. What was it like growing up? Somebody had to push you. Are you the only child? I I had several funny people in my family. My mom was hilarious, but my mom was funny laughing if you were laughing at her, what? No, nah, if you, my mom was funny. If I was laughing at her, not, not that she said anything brilliantly funny. It's just that my mom was a big lady. She weighed probably about 300 pounds and she was a short lady and she would just say things that to me were funny. Uh, um, the funny, one of the funniest things my mom did, my mom, <laughs> and my, when I started doing comedy, I put my mom in my act and it just came to the point where when I would come home, my mom and my dad like, all right, here he come. Don't don't nobody move because if he sees something, he gonna make a joke about it. He gonna put it on the radio. So they were they were funny. But the funniest thing, I bought a hat. I paid one hundred and fifty dollars for this straw hat. This is you as a child, right? I was a comedian oh. at the time. I was doing stand up. So I, I go see my mom. I have on my new hat. I set my hat down. I get ready to go. I'm I can't look. I can't find my hat. I don't know where my hat is. Where's my hat? Yada yada. My hat. My hat. Oh, my God, my hat. And my mom says, well, I'll get up and help you look for it. I'm like, okay, no problem. So she gets up. You see where this is going, right? And the hat, <laughs> so she's looking around, and the hat is stuck to my mama's ass. And so I start laughing. <laughs> she, said, she said, you better not say that on the radio. Well, I'm going to put that right on the radio. Wow. That's going That's going directly that's to radio. That's classic content. Because my family had to understand that if you could take money from these jokes, you could be the joke. The joke helps us. That's where it comes from. It's like I'm inspired by y'all. Do something stupid so I can take it to the radio. So, yeah. And get some money. Then everybody going to yeah. be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your mom like? Oh, my God. It's, I have two moms. I'm, I'm oh. thinking about writing a book called Two Moms. It was that. Uh, unappreciative mom, the mean mom when I was young, and then the saved mom. The, the, she got saved, she got religion, and I love I love both of them, and I think both moms love me. In the beginning, she was just 
mean, just, you know. Mean like what, Jay? You know, you're a comic. So, you know, you probably no, no, no. Those my mother, kids in the beginning, when I was mean, here's the thing. And I think, and I know why, when I grew up, when I grew up and became an older man, my mother had two kids at the age of 16 years old. 16 or 17, maybe 15, when she had my sister, she was 15, probably 15. And my grandmother said, well, you know what? Since you're trying to finish school, I'll take the baby and raise that baby. Well, then my mother gets pregnant again with me, you know, and now my grandmother said, well, I'm not taking care of any more babies. You're on your own now. And I think my mom resented the fact that, okay, I got to do this by myself. Here's this kid. My mom got the other one. My grand, my mother has the other one. Now I got the, the younger baby. I really got to do this. And so whatever resentment that she had from being in the situation that she put herself in, she took it out on me. My mother wasn't, you know, uh, school educated, but she had great knowledge of awareness in terms of I'm going to do this and I'm going to believe in myself. My mother cleaned house. She cleaned the University of South Carolina. The most inspirational thing was my mother cleaned the University of South Carolina and my sister graduated from there. That's like, that's wow. some amazing shit. That's amazing. My sister graduated from the same place my mom mm. cleaned up. So when my mom became the save mom, the save mom didn't remember the stuff the bad mom did. She don't remember none of it. But when you say bad mom, like, are you talking about you got popped for doing something? You were oh, told got, to go to I your got room? Pop, I got beat. I you got, got cursed out. I so got what made her in. bad? What made her or not so good? Because I was the only child. You know, I was the only child. It was just me and her. And there were times when, you know, I wasn't doing good or just for no reason. It was that her, her and my dad weren't together. It was like, you know, and and your daddy's not taking care of you and your daddy's not, you know, so it's just some resentment that people have and people who are never in that predicament where it's just one parent, you can have one loving parent, but you can have one parent who's not so loving. Right. I was just thinking for myself, like, I don't I don't have that direct experience. Like my dad died when I was three months. So I don't know what it's like to have that father figure. And for my mom, that was the love of her life. So I just came from having a single parent. So I don't know when you say like, oh, just not nice. Go to your room. I'm not talking to you. But you seem to turn out all right. Oh, I think I did turn out right because that was a that was a basis of comedy was to talk about stuff that I went to. I got beatings. I got put on punishment. You know, when I was young, I went to bed. Uh, you know, I got bad grades, you know, and I kind of took some of those things that happened and maybe turned it into a routine where I could talk about it. There were several people in my life. My aunt, my aunt was the, one of the funniest people. She read the newspaper. And, and when I say read the newspaper, because like I said, there was no news outlets back then other than you got the paper. She read the paper from front to back every day. Wow. Front to back. Very smart. And she only opened her mouth when she got drunk. When she got drunk. <laughs> it was she was she was classy. My aunt Emily was the first one to give me a beer and a cigarette together. What? A beer and okay. And what was so unique about her was she got drunk. Her tongue got heavy and like that. Like that. And she would deny being drunk. You'd be like, Aunt Emily, you drunk? Yeah, I'm Like, you're drunk. And what was so <laughs> unique about it, she would go in on my grandmama and nobody, nobody said anything about <laughs> Big Mama. 
But my Aunt Emily would light into her ass, man. She like, what? Everybody's scared of Big Mama. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, Big Mama gonna get you. <laughs> Watch out for that Big Mama. Buddy. So, was, um, was your Aunt Emily and your mom good, good for sisters? Like, were they good friends as well? They were twins. Not identical twins. One What's light, you? one dark. One was light, one was dark. They were born the same day. I, you know, when you think about it, I don't think they were twins because they didn't look nothing alike. <laughs> That's some. <laughs> think about it. <laughs> just because they were light skinned and dark skinned, come on now. Nothing no, I'm just all? saying. It's it's. But you know, when you're young, sometimes the uh highlight don't go out till you get you're older. True, and that part you don't true. go. Whoa, whoa. Oh, because you know, black folk keep some secrets. Oh, okay. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, they was. Oh, he was doing it. Oh, okay. That's why he was over there every day. Oh, what? She was cooking for. Uh, oh, okay. All right. It was fucking. All right. All right. And, you know, and that's just where it is, man. I had an uncle who was gay who lived with another man. I didn't, the light didn't go off till I got in my 30s. He was like, just like, oh, that's just Unc's friend. They always hanging around. Oh. Oh, okay, all right. I mean, I didn't judge him. I loved right. him. He was my uncle. But that's what happens sometimes in life. The light doesn't go off until later on in life when you figure things out. That's what you do. My grandmother played the numbers. Oh, yeah. My, my mom liked to play the numbers, the numbers, too. Your mom played the numbers? Yes, she did. When did you figure out they were numbers? I had to be grown. Okay. And let me tell you why. The, it was, that grandmother... was just nothing but the lottery. She huh? would tell me she would go play the numbers. Okay, well, my grandmother didn't tell us. She would send us to this lady's house with little pieces of paper that sometimes would have 50 cents in it or 20 cents or 30 cents, and it had a number on it. I always thought it was her paying somebody back. I didn't figure that was a number until I like, oh, shit, paying the numbers. Right, right. It was the numbers. Okay, so you you got older. You start to realize some things. But I thought it was something interesting because you said your mom had you or two kids by the time she was 16. So that may have mm-hmm. said that she, you know, may have gotten around and had fun or just lived a mm-hmm. little. So at what point did she change over and get all holier than thou art? And then Probably how did that affect in you? in her uh, 35, 40. When she moved, uh, when, she, when she separated from my dad, when she separated from my dad um, and to get her own place, her whole attitude changed that I got to really do this for myself. I remember my mom being depressed uh, at one point. And then I just remember her being just the strongest person, not only the strongest person, my biggest supporter in terms of whatever I wanted to do. You know, when I started doing the Tom Joyner show, uh, when I started sewing, I started, you know, I went and bought a sewing machine and I could, at the end, I was a master tailor. And my mom was just, you know, I could make stuff for her. She put it on. She'd wear it. I mean, I was, I was good. I was, I was, I was a bad boy. And I was, I didn't start out good. There were times where there were things I couldn't make, but I got better at it. And at the end, I was, I was accomplished tailor. When I was a tailor, I was making more money than my sister who had a nursing degree. So you were tailoring as well as on the radio at the same time? I didn't do the radio till later, later in life, but I was doing tailoring first. Yeah. When I, I was doing I was doing tailoring and stand up at the same time. And then how did you get in contact with uh, Tom Joyner? How did that work out? Oh, I did um, Def Jam. Um, my manager called me up and said, they got this new show coming out called Def Jam. 
and they're paying, I think at that time it was $2,500. $2,500, you're going to be there for three days. They're going to give you your own hotel room. They're going to fly you up, and it's going to be $50 a day for per diem. And she said, I don't think you should do it. And I said, that's a lot of money to turn down, um, Beverly. She, Beverly Mills is her name. I, you know, we, she, she was really instrumental in helping me get my name out there. But at that point, we just had a disagreement on that. I said, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it, you know. And it changed, <clears throat> it changed my life. I did not know. If you think about Def Jam, there are very few people whose name you can remember their routine. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. It, it happened by mistake, Legend. but I'm one of them. If you talk about Def Jam 25, that's 25 years ago. <laughs> they don't even know my name, but they know, watch out there now. Come on. They know me shaking the kids. They know that. They know me spraying the hairspray. They know that. They know you are, yeah. They know that. So I go to the rehearsal, and at the rehearsal, you had to do your first joke and your last joke so the camera would know when to pull out. You do your little routine. I'm going to open with this joke and I'm going to close with this joke. One of the jokes I was going to open with is um, about people. It's it's a common joke now, but I I did it first on Def Jam. So I know people, oh, I heard that joke before. You probably have. <laughs> a joke about people laughing. Some of you ever see people with no teeth laugh? They laugh like this. They cover mm-hmm. them out. <laughs> or they go, <laughs> that was the joke I was going to do. Now, when I did it on Def Jam, when I was going to do it, nobody had seen it. So we did it at rehearsal. Now at rehearsal, all the comedians are sitting at rehearsal. So everybody hears each other's jokes? Well, they, they got it. You know, they do them all one time. First joke, last joke, next. First joke, last joke, next. You're going to be on show one, two, three. You can go back to the room. So anyway, the night of the show, the MC did my joke. <gasps> he did my He did my joke. I'm not going to say who the MC was. <laughs> what? Did you confront him? No, I don't. Nobody knows me. Wait, I, as I a comedian, you don't, wait, I don't. I don't need that. I don't need that. What I needed to do was get in my head and produce some focus on what's coming up. So I found out they had a basement and I said, I got to go down in the basement. I can't get mad. I can't go out mad. If I go, nobody knows me. They never see me. Dude, he stole my, just, who, yeah, well, you're all right. Well, that's all you got is that one joke. Right, keep it moving. So I go down to the basement and I said, Lord, I, I prayed. I remember the prayer. I said, Lord, please don't let me go out there mad. Do not, I can't go out there mad. I can't do this mad. I got to stay in my, I got to, this was before Wusai. I was Wusai and down in there said, I put, I had this other joke that I put in, which was to watch out there now. I said, I'll do that. Because the, the mouth joke got a big laugh. I said, I put the watch out there now joke. Now, the watch out there now joke came from when I went to a hockey game with a white friend of mine named Dave Horowitz, who is a producer for game shows. He takes me to a hockey game. As we're going to the hockey game, a black man walks past me. I say, how you doing, sir? He said, watch out there, little fella. How you doing? And I said, you see that? That's how black guys tell we talk, we speak different. Mm-hmm. I took that and made it a routine. Like younger guys speak like this, sir, what's going on? Sir. Older guys, they get physical. Watch out there now. It's so a I whole said, movement. I put that, they move, they got more movement. I put that in. If you watch that, if you watch my Def Jam, the room exploded. I mean, the room just, it, it just killed. I, I, it, it blew up so much that I didn't even, I wasn't aware. Heavy D was there. Wesley Snipes was there because this was the only outlet for comedy. Mm-hmm. In the room, it just blew up. 
And And I'm sure it was a pretty big grind for black comics, right? It was huge. Every major comic that's a major comic today, pretty much, I'd say 75% of them were on Death Jam. Really? 75%. With that being said, so when did you meet um, Mr. Harvey? I miss Mr. Harvey. We were working we in. Call Steve. <laughs> Out of respect, I just say, Mr. When did you meet Steve? I met Steve in Lafayette, Louisiana. We we're working at a comedy club, and they say I'm working with this guy named Steve Harvey. You, you would always sometimes most places wouldn't put two black comics on the show. And this is in the '80s, '90s. This is in the '80s, yeah, '89, early '90s. They didn't put two black comics on the show, but this particular show, they put me and Steve on the same show. I'm the headliner. And Steve's is opening um, for me. He's in the middle act. He's not opening. He's the middle act. So Steve's the middle act. And so I'm sitting in my room and I hit his knock on the door. And it's Steve. He said, hey, uh, man, they told me we rooming together. I'm like, look, dude, I do not travel on the road to room with anybody. I left an apartment. Why am I going to go on the road and share a room with somebody? That's, I'm not doing that. So you go back and tell the club owner he needs to get you a room. So he goes back. He said, they're not getting a room. I said, okay, partner, here, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the money for the room because we ain't staying in the same room. Plus, I got all my sewing stuff out there, I'm making dashikis and stuff. I, you know, I don't need them. <laughs> so he came back again. Hey, man, you got to hide. I'm like, dude, do you have anything? Dog. So that, that night we did the show and we've been friends ever since. Ever since, just like that. Just so like he was, that. but okay, but no, there was something in the middle. It would have to be something. Did you find out? Was he green behind the ears at that point? Were you? What were you teaching? No, him? he, you know, he built. He, you know, he his 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 light rose. You know, he was host. He started hosting uh, the Apollo. I think the Apollo was a big break for but him. But y'all, but somehow y'all stayed together. And I'm wondering what was that common thread that made sure all these years? What you talking about? What 30, 40 plus years? It wasn't that many black people. We, First of all, we was we was two hoes. Two hoes. Riding around again, and let's talk. Yeah, he's not a he's not a hoe anymore. He's a reformed hoe. <laughs> Love him to death. He settled down. I'm not a hoe. I still have hoe tendencies, <laughs> and so we would talk to each other. You know, and the weird it was weird that the way we communicated because he would call me and said, "I'm gonna be in such and such." And okay, man, I see you. I'm coming that way, and we just hook up and stay friends. You know, and we would. Time to time get busted, and uh, the code was Mayday. Whenever somebody what? said Mayday, that means you got it. I'm Mayday. I'm gonna be at XYZ Hotel. You gotta call me. Yada yada yada, man. She found my book. She found everything. Everything. But that dog hanging there, man. And that's what we did. That's <laughs> we stayed in touch and stayed friends. And when he got, when he got me and the boys. He got the show called Me and the Boys. We were, we, uh, he got, when he auditioned for Star Search, I was right there. When he auditioned for, when he auditioned for the Apollo, I was, I was sitting there watching him. I'm like, you're going to get it. So I was never, I was never jealous of his star rising. It just, that's my buddy. That's my friend. You know, um, we stopped talking for a minute. I don't know why. You, you, no, you not. Come on now. Oh, no, you, I do not know why. Mr. Jacob, are we going to have a conversation or not? Are we gonna no, we didn't have a conversation. I'm talking about you and me. Are we going to keep it real and say what happened? I, I, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Because, I mean, I'm going to answer any questions. Because, yeah, okay. I'll tell you why. Because I don't think he could, I don't think he had the power he has now to deal with it. So he dealt with it differently. That's respect. Yeah. And that's what you call grace. 
Yeah, the power that he has now, it would not go. What? 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 Who? Say who? You did what? To Jay? Shit. You know that would be now. And then when he was young, his star was rising, and I just looked at it. You know. He dealt with it. We all do that. You know, mm-hmm. you have to go back to somebody going, hey, you know, I'm sorry for the way I dealt with that. I wish I had. And when I was, when I, my, when my son was, when my baby mama's son was carrying her, I stepped away from the girl. I didn't want nothing around her. I figured if I'm not around her, she ain't pregnant. So this is, this is the knowledge I had back then. And I just felt that that's what he did then. And I'm still, I still love the dude. He gave me, he stepped up to the bat for me when he didn't, me and the boys, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. I remember it like it was yesterday. What was it like working on that show? It was so much fun. It was just, you know, me and I was, a, I had a writing partner, Rashawn McDonald. Rashawn McDonald was my writing partner. So we were the only blacks I remember sitting in the room where Steve is talking to the big white people and he says, oh, we got this show for you. We ready to start production, yada, yada, yada. And Steve said, um, okay, cool. He said, but y'all got to hire these two dudes right here. I ain't going nowhere unless you hire both of these dudes as writers on the show. And you know, that was something when I talked to Steve, we had interviewed him for um, a station and you know, just looking at the whole morning show crew, none of y'all are new. And mm-hmm. you are testifying to the fact of him bringing you along, echo the same sentiments that he's loyal. He's going to look out. And I think mm-hmm. that's just one of the things that when you think about coming up in the industry, finding mentors. You know, he ain't a huggy type, how you doing type guy. Like, if you get sick, you might not hear from him at all. But... <laughs> If something happened to you, he'll be broke up. You know, he ain't the guy to call and check on you, you know, and you don't, that's just not him. You know, he ain't that, he ain't got his tolerance for the hug, man, you know, you might know, but I'm where I'm at because of him. Two things, because I'm talented and because of him saying, well, and he was trying to get me to come over to his show for the longest. But I think it isn't, wouldn't it be safe to say that he wouldn't be where he is unless you came along? That's what I call a real relationship. Y'all pouring each other. And when I sit there and I talk to his son and he says that you were part of the inspiration that built his career, let's stop. We can't play small. We can't play small, Jay. You Even if you tried, your history, your credit screams so loud. And, well, you know, you talked about a couple things right now. And I see it. You, uh, you know, when I was talking to you the other day and we were talking about just getting people on the show and interviewing you echoed so much that it touched my soul. It, it kind of got me a little emotional because you spoke life into me. And you said, Dawn, go after it. There's times that I didn't take the chance and I didn't do it. And sometimes yeah. in this business, it can get, it, it, sometimes it's hard, especially when you're younger, you're trying to come up. It's hard, but I tell you the hardest part about it is that we talk ourselves out of stuff that's like right there. Why? Why is that we ask for greater and then we don't do it? Because we don't see what other people sometimes see in us. We will look in the mirror like you could tell your best friend, girl, man, damn him. You, you don't need him. You're going to find another man. But you can't do that sometimes when it comes to your career or a decision. You just sometimes we can't do that to ourselves. We can't inspire our own selves. We can look at somebody else's situation and go, XYZ, XYZ, ZQ, boom, go try that. That don't work. Okay, I got more advice for you. We look at ourselves and go, well, I ain't never done that before. And 
just I don't know how to do it. And, uh, on the, on the stuff. <laughs> but it is just so dope when you do come across people because when you said that, that was something that my mother would have said, Dawn, just do it. And all right. the times that you you came and you've inspired and you're like, so what you got going on, Dawn? You're doing this? I just want to say I see you and I appreciate you. <laughs> well, because you, when I talk to you, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm getting it, yeah, and then I said, "Did you do it?" Well, no, I didn't do it. Yet. Oh, Jay, come on! I'm sitting here talking to you on my podcast. Done. I got my weekend segment done. Yeah, but no, yeah. Sometimes I think it's interesting because sometimes people look at fear and it's like, oh, um, fear is real. Now, don't get me wrong. No, don't fear is fake. Let me just fear say this: fake. No, I'm Don, you it. would not believe. You would not believe how nervous I am before I go on stage. Jay, it's unbelievable. What are you talking about? You built your whole career on being on stage. I'm so scared before I ask Steve, ask anybody, ask Tommy. It's unbelievable. Like, what do you mean? Right. I don't know what it is. So wait, are you saying that you, okay, so you just get over it? I mean, how do you get over it? The minute I walk out, it goes away. But before it's like, oh Lord. Have you Uh, ever had it so intense that you did not go on stage? No, I'm going to go. Oh, you've, you've never not shown up. No, no. There are things that, like I said, there were things that were offered to me that I didn't take on. There okay. were jobs to me that I said, uh, I don't want to look stupid. And I, I always threw things in the way of stuff. I threw things in the way of something I couldn't do that would decide whether or not I could take on something somebody was offering me, which is what a lot of people do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Go, well, no, I'm not ready for that. So I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting how you were just saying in general how even the times that you've been so scared of not doing it and just go it works to out. fight. But you said it was, it's real, but how was fear real? False evidence appearing real. Come on, Aj. Yeah, it works out. It I works feel out. like I always use like fear like ammunition to 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 kind of spearhead me further. But I look at now like I've been able to like one being here talking to you. Two, just mm-hmm. working on the show and getting the podcast, doing the voiceovers, you know, writing sketches with my teams and filming that. And I've been so uncomfortable. Jay, it's like so uncomfortable. There are times that I just cried and not because I didn't think I could do it. It's just that I don't know how to do or I don't know what the first step. But you know what you said to me. And I've been telling each person. <laughs> this. You said, Dawn, you ain't going to never have your ducks in the order. If you think about it, ducks don't even walk in order. <laughs> So they walk in a row, but you're never, it's like we spend so much time preparing to do something that time goes by and we don't do it because, you know, a lot of people, man, as soon as, as soon as I, man, as soon as this, I'm doing it. As soon as this right here happens, as soon as these kids graduate, I'm, you know, and you spend a whole lot of time preparing to do something when you can start. The internet has changed the game. Completely. Completely. And if you're not promoting yourself and talking about yourself, and don't don't think, well, they got a bigger audience than me. You ain't up against that. You're not up against that. I was listening to this talk radio show. We're not up against the person doing that. You know what we're up against? We're up against Trump. We're up against the COVID. We're up against the virus. We're up against shootings. That's where people's focus is. Right. Their focus is on that. We're up against, you got to stay home, unemployment. So you got to break. You ain't up against somebody got more listeners than you. 
You know, that's because that because people ain't even thinking about that. They're just thinking of the information about, oh, and the oh, oh, they done beat the shit out of another black man. Oh my God, Trump said something stupid. That's where their focus is. So if you can break through that, you really don't have no competition because you're breaking through the BS. You don't worry about, oh man, they got 6,000 listeners. I ain't got but seven. You start where you are. Right. Make noise. Right. You promote yourself. You go on any show you can get. You promote it and you're doing a promotion that calls to action. Don't just say, I have a podcast. Register to see my podcast. Right. Don't just say, I have a podcast. You know, give me an email. When I do my podcast, I'll send you a note. Don't just put up a picture of you eating chicken. Put a little thing at the end by my house. I don't post nothing online that I don't talk about myself. I know, because I see you post a picture. They'd be like, by my house. I'm like, what the hell has got to do with it? Because I gave you entertainment. Right. Now I want something from you. Hello, it's a give and receive exchange. Yeah, yeah. It's a fair exchange. I gave you, you laughed or you went to my website or you went to my page and you look at something funny. Now, you ain't got to buy my hot sauce. Maybe you don't buy it. You know, Jay got a hot sauce. What? Yeah, where is it? Hotterthemofo.com. Boom. <laughs> That's it. Um, you know what else I'm thinking about, too? You know, you talked about comedy and how it hits you, and I'm just listening to you now, just laughing. It's just, it's so invigorating. Um, would you say that it was your joy? Because you recently just battled uh, cancer and fought it. Yeah. Was it the laughter? Was it the comedy? Did you do it? Did you put it down for the comedy? In order to be a true comedian, this is just my opinion. I used to do this on stage. Everything is funny. Not right away, but after a while. You think of the worst thing you've ever been through. You might, you like, you in your gut, you crying, you like, this be like, shit, I can't believe this. With my sister? You with my sister? Why you doing like that? Okay, you have to just do it like this. Then all of a sudden, you get to the point where your girlfriend with you, and she said, "Girl, you remember that time you lost your motherfucking mind over there? Oh my god! Oh, nah, nah, I don't want to hear it. Nah, 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 girl, I got to show you what you did. Uh, I don't want to hear it. I want to talk. It becomes funny. That was the attitude with me with cancer. It wasn't funny right away, but later on, I mean, like, look, I'm walking around. I'm holding all this." fluid and stuff like this and people died from it a lot of people yeah, died they, they don't make, make it and, I, you know, and so the joke for me is I, I just deal with cancer now here come this shit COVID what 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 give me a break lord what I do <laughs> <laughs> so that's wow. just the way you have to deal when my mama died what did your mom die from um she had high blood pressure and heart and heart trouble mm -hmm. and when she passed away it was like the inside was ripped out of me but I couldn't get, I couldn't wait to get back on the radio. Really? I, you know, I couldn't wait to get back to work, but I don't know if it was a distraction. I don't know. Like when my mom died, well, I was about, I was 25. Well, and you didn't have comedy. You weren't a comedian. No, I wasn't a comedian, but I was just thinking about what I felt. I'm not mm -hmm. sure that I grieved right away. Cause I, I think as I look at it, the grieving process was probably like years down the line. Mm -hmm. And it's just subtle things that it hits you. That I'm like, Oh, snaps. Yeah, well, you know? for me, it was like every day when I would go do the Tom Jonas show, I would leave the house at 2.30. The show went on at 3 in the morning because we we taped, you know, coast to coast, which means I live in L.A. It's 6 o'clock in the morning in Georgia, so we got to start live. So I would call my mama. 3 o'clock in the morning is 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 6 o'clock, you know, 3 
Yeah, three o'clock in LA is six o'clock in the East Coast. Yeah, yes, East Coast. I call her right before I call her at two thirty before we went on, and it's so weird. And she'd say, "Get him!" every time. I said, "Mom, get ready to do the show," and she would say, "Get him!" And so for me, that was the one thing that was missing. That when stuff starts to happen, good, you can't get, you can't share it. And I, that's what I yeah. try to tell people. People think you just sad all the time. No, when something amazing, you want to call your mama. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. dang, like all the trouble, killing. like in the in the, in the in the in the instances of George Floyd. He was calling his mama. Let me tell you something. It wasn't until I really realized it when I remember I had what well, was living in New York at the time. And my mother, she was in so much pain. She was her third bout with the cancer, stage four breast cancer. And, you know, and that's what reminded me because when I saw your fight and how you were pushing and I was like, that's who my mom was. But I got, I think she got to a point where she had broke when you just get tired. So when you mentioned George well, Floyd, I remember her on the bed. They were pour, pouring like pumping morphine into her like every 10 minutes or so because the pain was uncontrollable. And she said, I just want my mama. So when I saw that man say that, I said, that was real. Because ain't real. nobody going to love you like your mama. Like your mama bring you in this earth and that mother could be, let's say if they're not even biological, whoever mothered you, they love on you so much and got to give you away. My mom, I could look at my mom and see that when she's in such pain. And anyone who's had a loved one, quote unquote, go from this healthy person to where they wither away. Come on. And they, you know they're going to die. You have a selfish wish, and the wish is very simple. Lord, even let him get better or take him home. I don't want her to continue to suffer like this anymore. Either heal her or take her. Mm-hmm. That was what I, I said that in my mind. I didn't say it to my sister. And she passed away. We were standing right there. But, she, you know, she had switched to good mom then. By the time she passed, she was good mom. So... And she was my biggest fan. She would, um, I would call her for my shows and she said, get them. And it's so weird. The, the next week or two weeks after my mom passed, I'm, I go somewhere to do a show, right? I go somewhere to do it. And the guy standing on the side of the stage, and says, you can hear people introducing me. And he said, all right, young man, get them. Oh, like, that was your Whoa. mama. Yeah, man. That was... <laughs> 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 my mom, she'll speak to me like in numbers. And uh, I can't think of the name, but you know that song. If you don't know me by now, you'll never ever uh-huh. know me. Uh-huh. That's when she comes. It was so interesting. Like before I got this job, I was on a bike. I had totaled my car probably a couple years ago. I was hustling game shows. So I just, I'm one of those people when I go when to you shows. When you say hustling game shows, what do you mean? Every game show I go to, they pick me. I get on there. More than likely, I win some money. And yeah. How many game shows had you been on? A talk shows and game show. I've been on The Real. I've been on Let's Make a Deal. I've been on uh, T.D. Jake's show. I've been on um, Dr. Phil. Really? I've been on The Cooking Show, The Chew. <laughs> and I was, they had a cutout on me. That was the best shout out I ever had. I was on Oprah's Queen Sugar Show. So several. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I just look at that as guidance. But, you know, even starting this job, Jay. I just got this job. First of all, just being this Midwest girl from Detroit, coming from New York, and I had been working in radio since probably high school, right? And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, man, I couldn't call my mother. But then the thing that was so traumatic, it was the first week, the first week I was there. I was walking around. I kept feeling this pinch in my leg. And I was like, oh my gosh. My friend's like, Dawn, you need to go get that checked out. Nobody just has like a pinch or whatever in their leg. 
go to the doctor on the first week, find out that I have a blood clot in my leg. What? First, can't even tell my mother about the situation. Secondly, I'm at a point where I'm a walking target. Mind you, my father died of a blood clot that traveled to his lungs. So having that whole instance of where you talk about strength and how you got to pull on there, because I look at times and I'm like, it's just me. And so when you whisper those words of encouragement, when I see <laughs> your battle and what you went through, like even yourself is a reminder like if you're like how you're saying, like, Dawn, don't wait. Or the fact that you sit there and you take time and you talk. <laughs> Tell me right? what I'm talking about, because when you say don't let's keep it real. Keep it real about what I said, don't wait. You said you said to me like Okay, I let's like keep it real. I was talking about interviewing for a podcast. You said Dawn. Did you ever think about asking Steve if you want to do it? I said, Well, I hadn't gotten there yet. I was thinking, let me improve on my whole, you know, my whole spiel, because I you know. You, you said, Dawn, the ducks ain't going to never be in order. And you know, out of anybody, you you known him like the longest. You uh-huh. would know. I don't yeah. think he would feed me to the lions. No, I wouldn't feed you to the lions. There's a very possibility that he might say no. But it doesn't. What would be the worst thing that would happen? I didn't even ask to do. He was right there. And I didn't say nothing. I didn't ask him. I, I will, but I was sitting here thinking. I, it's on the target, but the reason why I even like you is because we have a relationship. Like, mm-hmm. we talk. And mm-hmm. I don't, this whole vitamin D is about breaking barriers. It's about being inspired, getting a dose of motivation, and understanding stories. Mm-hmm. I hope that he sees the work that I do for him and, and say. But don't, okay, but listen no, to not me. even that. Oh, but listen, I'm saying listen to me. that listen if he comes again. around, listen. then it'll come around. Okay, tell You're me. You're focusing on the doing thing. You don't want to put, he may say yay or nay in there. You want to get, you just want to ask him. That's all you want. You, If he says yay or if he says nay, that means every person that's important that's on that show, you've asked them all. Right. You're going to get some of them, some you ain't going to get. Some going to give you the running round. But you can say, when you get down the road and you're doing something, well, I was working with something, why would they, uh, I don't know. Did you ask him? Yeah, I asked him. Okay. Well, which is the better story? Did you ask him? No, I didn't say nothing to him. I was. Well, why didn't you shot. ask? Right. <laughs> Shoot your shot because you said you had an experience where um, what'd you say, Robin Harris? You said what Robin happened? Harris, I never spoke to him. I was I would go to the. Were comedy you working act. with him or you? Uh, well, I was an up and coming comic. He was the quote unquote man of L.A. at the Comedy Act Theater. So that was considered the Black Comedy Club. Now, mind you, I was considered a comic who played only white clubs because back in the day, there were no black comedy clubs. So predominantly, our audience was was white, which for me was great. Why? Oh, because that's because you like white women. No, that too. <laughs> but it taught me how to work both audiences. It, uh-huh. it was just, uh, it, it just blew my mind. I could work, I had to learn to work black audiences, but I could work white audiences. I had them in the palm of my hand. So when I came to L.A., it was an all-black comedy club. I'd never been in an all-black comedy club. I'd never seen an all-black audience. Never. Did that make you nervous? Never. I'm well, I'm always nervous, so and <laughs> I, I didn't do films, so I do add it onto that. Right. So I learned how to do that. So when I became a writer on on radio on TV shows, I mastered it. I knew how to make both. Men. There are white comics that never have to go in front of an all-black audience, and there are black comics who never get to see an all-white audience. So we have two different worlds that you might get a sprinkle, 
but you never get an all white audience. So what all shows have you written for? You said Arsenio, me and the boys, Robert Townsend, um, Sinbad, uh, Steve Harvey's, um, Steve Harvey had two shows. I did well, three shows, four shows. Um, Steve Harvey's Big Time, the Steve Harvey's Show, um, Me and the Boys, and the TV Talk Show, and Arsenio Hall, and now I write stuff for the radio show. God, dog. And, and yeah. you've also been in movies and so forth, and television I've been in, shows? I've been in, <laughs> my biggest claim to fame is um, <laughs> How to Be a Player and uh, drumline. Yes. Now, what drum. a lot of people don't know about drumline, there's another movie called Pay the Price. Pay the Price was a movie that was out before drumline. It is the exact same movie. I'm Wait, in was that the white version or the black version? It's a black version. Okay. It was okay. written by, it was written, oh, I can't look it up. I can't think. But it was written by somebody. It's the same movie as drumline. It's the exact same. The only difference is it is a low budget of Drumline. Drumline, somehow they ended up going to court suing that they stole their idea and made Drumline. I'm in both movies. Oh, snap. So you already know the truth. God! Jay, you look sound like a common denominator to me. Yeah, man. I'm in both movies. <laughs> now, drum, is that it? Uh, pay, to be the, pay the price. She is just, just fell by the wayside. Drumline was a major success. Who did you tell them about the movie or you were just the actor? On they the know movie? about it. There was a lawsuit after Drumline came out about this movie. Wow. Are, are you yeah. uh, are you writing any more movies now? I just did Tyler Perry's um, TV show um, um, called Assistant Living. Oh, my God. Uh, I used to do a, a bit on the Steve. Well, I, I've done a bit on the Steve Harvey show called. The Chapmans. I was telling Carla, I said, where is it at? Please bring it back. Now that we're on Zoom, please. I I just told her last week because I took your advice and I asked her to be on the podcast. I wrote the Chapmans and it's a fictitious family. One is a one runs pork rinds and Carla doesn't know who her daddy is. And Junior, just they whenever he speaks, they say, shut up, Junior. Tommy plays different characters. Tommy has a fictitious person that he can talk to, but you never hear him talk. Um, I killed myself because I do get so nervous <laughs> reading. <laughs> so I killed myself. And Shirley is the narrator. She moves the story along. Oh, so when you write, what inspires you? The premise, the story, or the characters? I, it was just something when Steve said he wanted to have a, 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 a something like a sitcom, an ongoing. And I said, well, you know, it would be great to have a sitcom. First of all, we make it short and we make it that instead of bringing in people, let the people on the show play the characters. That's ingenious. That's just genius stuff. Yeah. And so I came up with this concept of the, the Chapmans and uh, uh, my assistant, Maisha, would type it all down for me. And to make surely the narrator is just it's great. It's brilliant. I mean, she is the voice of Urban she moved, Radio. And there are times when you could write it. One of the best shows for me, written, the best writing show on television is a show called Green Acres. Green, which uh, network is that on? It's on It's on the old channel network. Okay, so talk, what, what you love about it? Because the way they write on Green Acres, they not only wrote what was happening in this predicament here, they would write the they would write jokes about 
the credits still going across the screen. What? They would yes. For instance, they would he'd be talking to his wife, and she would say, "Oliver, why are the words still on the screen?" <laughs> and the, and you know they would play it off like he didn't say it. He would break the wall if he said anything. If he just said, "Man, I'd like to get some new sighting." They had a character that came in, said, "I heard you talking about sighting." Now he wasn't in the scene. He just showed up. Mr. Just Haney just showed up selling stuff. You know, he wasn't like, he, he acted as if he heard what they were saying and he'd show up selling it. It's to me, and it was all written by one guy. One it's, man. To me, it's one of the best written comedy shows ever. That in the Sanford and Son. So, Sanford and Son was a beast. What? And it was so raw and real. Do you, is there any show out that you felt like probably got inspired for that or maybe some oh, actors? Well, I know what got inspired. That show came from England. Well, no, I'm was, saying after Sanford and Son here, do you see anybody else that came up after that kind of oh, tried well, to pull that story had a show that, that I thought was called Martin and Martin. Oh yeah, Martin. Yeah, Martin where Martin was the antagonist in terms and what was so good about Martin is the same thing with Sanford and Son is when you do a sitcom, you gotta have Look at look at all of them. You got to have a character on there that everybody either dislikes or that they just talk about everybody in the room. The character talks about character. them. You got to have that character. That that character has to exist. And you look at your major sitcoms, All in the Family, uh, Good Time. That's my mama. Um, Monique. You know who who is the antagonist? Who gets to insult everybody? Monique gets to insult everybody. Uh, Moesha, who gets to insult everybody? She brought in her friends that would come with, you know. So when you have that, when you do that for your writing, or either you have a quote-unquote come-in-the-door character. On on Seinfeld, it it was Kramer. When Kramer came in the door, it was just the lap, because they did the show live, they got so much applause that they would have to wait. And if you look at the tapings now, they took it out. They took all, they took it out because it ate up time. On um, Room 227, hey, Sandra, when she came in the door, when Rollo came in the door, the guy, the, the, the next door jump man, you got to have some kind of character coming in to break up. Red Fox put all his friends on. Lawanda, when she came in, you oh, go out, fool, and Come they on, would go at fool. it. Yeah, so that was, that's just writing. That was just great writing. So what, um, I know you talked a lot of the male uh, comedians. What about the female comedians back then? Like, was comedy hard, harder for females? Um, Marsha Wallfield, um, Adele Givens, Samoa, um, um, Wanda Sykes. Oh, man. Moms Mabley. Ooh, just tons of. And I've always said this. These females are way smarter than these Negroes. Way smarter. They're way smarter than us when they hit the stage. Way. I'm glad that you give respect when it's due, though. Yeah, they way smarter than we are. Because, you know, they don't have to go, I'm screwing up. I'm, they, ain't, they ain't going there. They'll go that route, but it's so clever that you don't see it coming. They're smarter than men. Because they're smarter than men anyway. <laughs> I would not have comedy shows. When I go on the road, I don't have a guy on my show. I will not put a man on my show. Really? Give me some women. The room is full of women. You know, you actually did you didn't you go on tour with your daughter? Yeah, that's a whole different story. (laughs) My daughter. I didn't want my daughter to curse. I wanted her to be clean. You're a sailor, and you didn't want her to curse. 
Yeah, I know, but I wanted to because when you don't curse, it makes you think more. Mm. I'm not saying comics who curse are not thinking. You just throw out curse words. That's just my opinion. When you don't curse, you're thinking, what can I put there? What can I say? So I said, in order to work with me, you can't curse. You go on stage, you do three minutes. I don't need you to do more than that. But, you know, it, it takes hard work to do this. Oh, it's Everybody not easy. Work that's hard. What you mean? Writing a couple I mean, jokes? You got to go to places that you don't want to go. You got to, hey, you got to go to, I mean, it's not safe now. You got to go to campuses. You got to go to jobs. I went to, I went to all girls schools. I went to restaurants where they didn't have comedy. I stood on the floor. I stood on the DJ floor to do comedy. I, um, I went to all white places. I went to biker clubs. I went to places where there are three and four people. Comics don't want to do that now. They want to be on the internet. So it's a whole, don't get me wrong. It's a whole different game. Now you can be successful by being on the internet, but once you come off the internet, and there's a crowd, you got to find a way to entertain that crowd. You got to find a way. Well, I will say the good thing now, because everything is online, a lot of people are doing like a live audience. So That's it's good. still that feel, but I feel like I would imagine that there's a different kind of energy when you got somebody in the oh, room. Oh, when you got people like this, different. And you can feel the breath and all that kind of stuff. So are there, is there any advice that you even tell somebody about if they're thinking about comedy? Yes. When you're thinking about, now I would tell people to post as much as you possibly can and build up an audience you can do that on the internet. You don't have to, quote unquote, do the chitlin circuit if that's the type of comedian you want to be. But if you want to master both, then find a way to master both by getting on that stage in as many diverse audiences as you possibly can, and you will be a better comedian. And you got to go all in. You got to go all in. You got to drive home from that club that night when you know you was not funny and it did not work. It was funny in the mirror. It was funny when you told your friends, man, what you think about this? I'm going to do that. Man, that is funny. You need to open with that. You go, man, you going to do that? And how'd it go? Loud. So yeah. other than other than the gentleman that got you on to Arsenio, who, who else took a chance on you? Who took a Everybody chance on you before that? But Everybody. I'm wondering, what did they see? Why did they take a chance on you? Tom Joyner took a chance on me and put me on the radio because um, what happened was I was working at a club called Maverick's Flat. Right there in Inglewood. Yeah, right down there for Crenshaw. Yeah. I was working there, and uh, his producer, Yolanda Starks, would come to the club with her husband, and she went back and told Tom, I'd already done Def Jam. She said, you got to put this guy on your show. He's funny. She was she booked the guests, so that was her job to book people. She puts me on the show as a guest. Tom and I just clicked. It just clicked. And I said, um, give me Tom's number because I want a job. Give me a, a she said, okay. I get I call him up. I say, man, I like that. I like to be on your show every week and I'll do it for free. And this is my advice. Yeah. This is my advice to people. Try to figure out how you can get in for free. Free gets you in the door. But you, you listen, people nowadays are too big for their bridges. If you're not paying them, they're not trying to be about it. But when you, that's a different kind of hunger when you gotta work for it. If you read the book My Two Dads. You read the book, My Two Dads, it talks about how they work for the his, his two dads and he didn't pay him any money. And even on quote unquote slaves who were working for free, when they became free, they worked 
at the trades that they have. Pullman porters, picking cotton. Well, if I can pick cotton, I can grow cotton. If I can shine shoes, I can open a shoe shop. If I can make Miss Hattie a dress, I can make my own dresses and sell them. If I can cut master's hair, I can cut Negro hair. You know, so you can niche out what you, and free gets you in the door. Free will get you in the door. It will, it, hey, I want to be a barber, but I'll come in here and sweep up for free. Cause I just want to be a brown barbers, man. I want to be a cook. I'll take the flour. I want to do um, tattooing, man. I don't care. If you take that attitude, it gets you in the door. And believe me, if you become good at what you doing, somebody will pay you a lot of money to do it. Somebody will. My brain was going everywhere when you said <laughs> that, because I tell people like, I understand um, college isn't for everybody. Right. Uh, but you know who went to college? <laughs> Hitler went to college and Trump went to college. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not about to. <laughs> but the thing, what I see Bernie is Bernie Madoff I, went to college. <laughs> they all went to college. I went to trade school. Bill Cosby went to college. Bill Cosby did a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, he went to college. <laughs> but but the, here's the thing and I was getting at. While college, you know, we learn all this stuff. I... I did well. I graduated with honors, hosted the graduation. That's not the, the, the guessing point. But I feel what I benefited most from college was what you just talked about, about working for free was doing my internships because I had an excuse to be in the door. I had an excuse just to hear the conversation. So whether you were talking about a name, whether you were putting me on, telling me things that I need to learn about, to read about. And then it became that thing of, oh, Dawn is always there. Oh, Dawn is showing up. In fact, that's even how, that's how, that's why I sit before you right now. Because when I was interning in Detroit, I was a promotion assistant running the streets but uh, the marketing director would always say like hey you know meet Skip Dealer go talk to him I saw him in the studio and it was at that point that I realized one of those aha moments you realize when you were later that um, Martin was based on a radio personality from Detroit which was Mason on that day Skip was filling in and he took a chance I just asked questions but I wouldn't have had a reason to be in the room had it not been for free and had it been an internship and I tell people all the time stop thinking that it has to be the monetary thing right now just show up because a lot of people will say oh i want to be um i'm thinking about making you xyz and the next thing that come out of that much well, well how much i'm gonna make i ain't gonna pay you nothing well and i ain't doing it i ain't coming not even realizing that the the information of what you got to say it supersedes that dollar yes how did i do uh, you did amazing, actually. Okay. Um, you know, I wanted to break in there a little bit more about because your battle with cancer, like that's huge, man. Like that's huge. You had to face so. the radio every day at the fight, and you had to laugh about it. That's a lot of pressure. That is well, I think I think had not laughter been there, and I didn't have this ability to go on the radio. Who knows what I would have done. You know, who knows how I would have dealt with it. I, every day I could go on the radio and I could be ignorant or, you know, to the extreme, as much as the extreme as I wanted to be. And it made a difference for me. So I'm blessed. The pain, it. was it Was it the worst thing you ever felt? No, I didn't have a painful, I, 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 I was, there were times when I threw up a lot and I lost a lot of weight, but I've heard people have bouts with cancer where they're in a lot of pain. I was never in pain. It's just that I lost my appetite. I felt like I didn't want to eat. Nothing stayed on my stomach because of the chemo. Uh, I threw up a lot. 
you know, not trying to get too graphic, and I lost, I lost weight, mm-hmm. in which you know, I look good, man. You look I, healthy, I was, now. Yeah, I was up to two. I was wearing like two fifty five. I'm like two hundred now. So wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to see your face because I haven't. I don't even know the last time I seen your face. It was before your bout, <laughs> and can't wait to see you in person. But we talk. But we talk all the time. We do, I, that's why I can't remember like why I haven't seen you in forever. Because <laughs> Lord knows when I run into yeah, you, we, we, at times. we've seen each other. Yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for being on the Vitamin D podcast. <laughs> this is dope. I done. I'll let you later. Let me tell you something. I love me some Jay Anthony Brown. True story. Jay was actually one of the very first people that I reached out to to help me with writing a sketch. And that's what I mean about using your resources. Looking around and sees around you who can help you out. You know, fear is nothing but false evidence appearing real. It just causes it to cripple you to stop. And remember, as long as you're on this earth, you're growing. So that means you have to continue to move. You continue to grow and you're constantly building from the good and the bad. I appreciate Jay. And you know what? Even how far I've gotten with this podcast right now is thanks to Jay. I sat down with him a few weeks ago and did this interview. And he said, Dawn, did you ask the rest of the morning crew? And I was like, no. And he was like, why not? I said, well, I'm waiting to get everything in order and get my ducks lined up. He said, Dawn, ducks don't even walk in order. What? You see what I'm saying there? Find your mentor. Use your resources. And from then, that's how I got Shirley Strawberry. Hey, coming up soon, it's going to be Carla Farrell. And you know, he said, did you ask uh, Mr. Harvey? I said, no, not yet. And each time I talked to him, he asked me that. So I'm going to ask Mr. Steve Harvey. And listen, if he does, he does. If not, he doesn't. But I'm going to shoot my shot. And you'll know because you'll hear him. And if you don't, you'll know what happened. So thank you, Mr. J. Anthony Brown. Your ducks don't always have to be in order because ducks don't walk in order. So if you like what you heard and you want to learn more from Jay, you can follow him on Twitter at the letter J spot comedy. He's on Instagram at j.anthonybrown. And if you're looking for more vitamin D in your life, you can always follow me at Dawn Day Speaks on all social media. Again, that's Dawn, D-A-I, Speaks on all social media. And I'm also going to put up some clips from this episode later in the week. I hope you enjoy it, okay? And until next time, always remember, you are your greatest asset.